Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. This morning, I want to invite you, if you're not there yet, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. That's where our message is going to be coming from this morning. We're going to be beginning in verse 26. You know, there is a particular author that I absolutely admire and love. His name is Kim Allen Johnson, if you're familiar with him. He's written some books for us through Pacific Press. Um, one is called The Gift. The other is called... The Resurrection, but he has recently written a book that I absolutely love and currently reading called The Team. And in that book, he shares a story of a time not long ago where he was actually being considered. You don't mind if I come a little bit closer to you this morning? Is that okay? I like to feel close to my family. Um, he tells a story about a time where he was being considered for a pastoral position on the pastoral staff of a local Seventh-day Adventist church that was not too far from where he lived in Florida, which, by the way, I grew up in Florida. Anybody here from Florida at all, the Sunshine State? Well, he's in Florida. He's being considered for this pastoral role. And the day comes where the pastor, the associate pastor, and some members from the search committee give him a call. And on this call, it took about maybe 30 minutes and as he's on this call, they're asking him a series of questions. And as the questions are coming his way, he feels like he's responding to the questions quite successfully. And it sounds like it's a very good call. And then comes the pointed question. Pastor Johnson, how important do you feel it is to share the gospel? Well, Pastor Johnson's being considered for a pastoral position. He has theological training. He's a faithful, committed Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He confidently responds. He says, well, absolutely. I think it is absolutely vital to the church. I think it is central to the mission of the church. It's, it's absolutely critical for the Christian experience. And then comes the response, the follow-up question that he was not prepared for. The same pastor, not intending to embarrass him, asks him this question. He says, Pastor Johnson, then what are you doing right now to make disciples and share the gospel. And you could hear crickets on the line, silence. And then he breaks that awkward silence by saying this, well, I guess I'm not practicing what I preach on that one. Needless to say, he did not get that pastor, pastoral role, position at that church. As a matter of fact, he would later on get another position within the same conference. But that experience left an indelible mark on his mind. What was he doing to actually practice what he was preaching, whether he was hired or not? As a matter of fact, later on, the pastor would tell him, I wasn't trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but we had covenanted together. We had agreed together to hold one another accountable on our pastoral staff that even in our personal lives, we were going to fulfill the gospel commission. And many of you, as you're probably hearing this story right now, you're saying, wow, I'm glad I'm not a pastor. That would have been absolutely embarrassing to have been on that call. But if my mind goes back, and if my mind serves me correct, when I remember reading, and many of you could recite it from memory, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 down to 20, the great gospel commission of Jesus Christ. I don't remember Jesus saying, pastors, go and make disciples. I don't remember that. Bob, I don't remember them saying, I don't remember Jesus saying, evangelists, go and make disciples. I don't even remember Jesus saying, paid staff, go and make disciples. No, rather, Jesus was there with 500 lay people, disciples of his, and he says, without qualifier, go and make disciples. 
under the authority of the risen Christ, their commander-in-chief, Jesus commanded them, period, without qualifier, go and make disciples. Now, there were 120 of them that actually followed the instructions of Jesus to wait in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Only 120 of them out of the 500 actually followed the instructions of Jesus. They went down to Jerusalem. I had the privilege of being there uh, last year's summer on the New Testament tour at the seminary. Beautiful experience there. And they gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem. They prayed together. They, they confessed their sins. They waited for the promise of the Father. And then, boom, Pentecost happens. And over 3,000 people are added to the church. They say, possibly, when you include women and children, anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people now are added to this 120 as a result of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in them through their witness. And we ask the question, what did making disciples look like for them in the early church? Did they fulfill what Jesus actually instructed them to do? He said, go and make disciples. As a matter of fact, the term that you find Jesus using over and over again, he doesn't use the term Christian. As a matter of fact, we see that maybe only two or three times in Acts. But he uses the term disciple. He's being very intentional about what he's communicating. Did they follow the instructions of Jesus? Well, I'm sure everyone here would give me a resounding yes. And you get a glimpse of that in Acts chapter 2, particularly in verses 40 down to 47. You see them there as they're now recently baptized members of the church. Now, of course, you would think of the, the vernacular that we use today that you would have a mega church. You would have all the, these thousands of new believers now gathered, right? Well, yes, you had this large group, but they went from house to house, and here's what it looked like. They were there, and they continued after their baptism. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, is what it says. They continued in the teachings of Jesus. Isn't that what he said in the Great Commission? He says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. They continued that. They continued the exposition of the scriptures in the light now of the gospel, of the risen Christ. They prayed together. They ate together. I believe food is evangelistic. Amen? They, they ate together. They broke bread together, as it says. They, they fellowshiped together. They were in community. That was how they grew in Jesus. You'll hear some more about that later on this afternoon. That is how they grew into the maturity of the image of Christ. In that context now, something else beautiful begins to happen. They begin out of their spiritual gifts, as you see there in Acts 2, to serve one another's needs ministering to one another, not because they were forced to do it, but because out of the love of Christ, they were now compelled to do it. They wanted to serve their brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and their larger community. And it's in that context, and it says in verse 46, that they were doing this in this context, in their community, from house to house and in the temple. In that context, it ends very beautifully and gloriously there in verse 47, and the Lord added to them daily those that were being saved. And I love it because it says the Lord added. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but what that tells me is that the primary evangelist is not the pastor. The primary evangelist was not really even the disciples themselves. The primary evangelist is Jesus. Jesus was the one adding to them. In that context, he could trust them with these new believers, with these new disciples. Whenever I talk about evangelism at our church, I say God is trusting us with these people, with these precious souls. You know, I pastor at your sister church, Restoration Praise Center, Seventh-day Adventist Church. There's a whole history behind that name. Many people in that group, an evangelistic meeting was preached, and there was a small group that got started, so it actually started as a small group, and then that multiplied, and then now you have over 400 members of this church. And uh, maybe on a, on a high Sabbath, there are probably 600 in attendance, 600, 650 in attendance. A young, relatively young church, not only in age, we're about uh, five years from our official launch, five years old, we're still in elementary school, but it's young in the sense that there are a lot of young adults, young professionals, and young families. Kids are coming from everywhere. And there's a lot of pressure on my wife and I right now. They're praying for us to have children. <laughs> because everybody is married now and getting married and having children. 
But at RPC, we actually model our process of discipleship. I mean, that's my role. I'm, I'm over evangelism and discipleship, and I'm also over multimedia at our church. And our process of discipleship at RPC is actually coming out of the experience in the early church in Acts, particularly Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses four, excuse me, 40 to 47. Now, you hear this, and many people hear this type of stuff. You know, they hear what's going on in the early church. They hear the discipleship model. And they say, yeah, that was, that was the glory days of the church in the book of Acts. It reads very romantically. It's very poetic. It's very beautiful. Yeah, the Lord was adding to them daily those that were being saved, and they were meeting from house to house and ministering to each other's needs. And we almost relegate it to something that's kind of nice. You put it, hang it up on your shelf. But as I read the Bible, and I read Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1, the, the Lord is saying to us that through God's people, the glory of the Lord will encircle the entire earth. And so that tells me that the glory days are not in the past. The glory days are just ahead of us. The best days are still to come, though it is in the context of the last day scenario. But then I hear someone right now saying to me, CJ, Yes, I believe that the glory days were in the past, and I believe that we're going to see the outpouring of the latter rain Holy Spirit in the very near future, finishing the work of the gospel, but I'm not seeing it in my life, in my experience right now. And so what do we do about that? What do we do about, what am I doing? You may be thinking the same question that, Kim Allen Johnson was posed with. He's a pastor. You may not be one, but pastors even experience the same self-evaluation. What am I doing to make disciples for Jesus Christ? Well, how am I seeing the glory of God being revealed through mission in my own personal experience? I've been pastoring for just over a year. I graduated from the seminary. Um, some would actually say that I was probably, in principle, a pastor from before then. But I've been a pastor for just over a year, and I believe probably the single most, I'm sure there are other things that we could mention, but probably the single most common thing that I hear why people are not making disciples today is fear. A lack of confidence in their ability to do personal evangelism. And so how do we overcome this fear? How do we take what we read in the scriptures and then begin to see it happen and modeled in our own lives? I believe Acts chapter 8 gives us three ways. If you're taking notes today, you may want to jot them down. I believe Acts chapter 8 gives us three ways that we, too, can experience confidence in our personal evangelism in a message entitled, Arise and Go. Arise and Go. I invite you again, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26 is where we'll be coming from. But before we begin, I want to begin by asking the Holy Spirit to be the one to speak to us today. Is that okay? Let us bow our heads right now and ask the Lord to speak through his word. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you this morning. We magnify you. We glorify you because you're worthy. You're our creator. You are our redeemer. And we thank you, Lord, for what you did in times past in your church. We thank you, Lord, for the glory that is just ahead of us. But as Moses prayed in Exodus 33... We long to see your glory now. Speak to some heart today. May someone hear the message of the gospel and hear Jesus today. Use this broken vessel, the speaker, to somehow communicate Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us today. Speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so excited about what I'm going to be sharing with you, with you guys today. I absolutely love the book of Acts. You know, where we are right now in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, it is now some time after 34 AD. The prophetic clock has already struck. The 70 weeks prophecy has come to its conclusion. The gospel is now going to the Gentiles, albeit through persecution. Stephen, a very powerful man of God in the previous chapter, has just been stoned. He's the first official Christian martyr in the church. And as we know now, the gospel is going beyond 
Jerusalem. Jesus, as a continuation, as Luke is giving the account in Acts chapter 1, is continuing his Great Commission speech. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus predicts, describes how mission is to be accomplished through the early church. He says that you'll be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you. You will be my witnesses. You will be, by the way, my evangelists, not just the pastors, everybody, in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. This is actually how the book of Acts is outlined. Everything up until Acts chapter 8 has been primarily happening in Jerusalem. They've been quite comfortable, you know? And I love the heart of God here because God wants to reach those that crucified him, those that were rejecting him. And he wants to give them time to receive the good news of Jesus Christ and see their scriptures now in the light of the cross. So it's understandable that the church initially was focused on Jerusalem. But now, again, albeit through persecution, the gospel is now, it's forcing them to now go outside of Jerusalem. And so now, as we're now entering into Acts chapter 8, you're seeing the shift in the book of Acts. It even begins to say right there in the first, first uh, couple of verses there in Acts chapter 8 that they now have actually, it's indicating what Jesus actually said. They are now moving into Judea, and they're moving into Samaria. And there is a central figure that begins to emerge here in Acts chapter 8. He is one of many who the Bible says in verse 4, went scattered everywhere preaching the word. He was such a powerful exp expositor of the gospel of Christ that later on in Acts 21, he would be called Philip the Evangelist. And Philip is not the Philip of the gospels that is one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. This Philip is one of the seven deacons that was chosen with Stephen. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is preaching the gospel with power. It is so irresistible, his gospel presentation, that as he now moves into Samaria, there is a, a, a church now that is starting to erect. There is a church that is starting to emerge and, and, and is being birthed, and some of the representatives from Jerusalem actually come to see the glory and the grace of God happening there in Samaria, and Philip is rejoicing in the fruit of ministry that the Lord has been blessing him with. And it's so interesting how God begins to prepare Philip for what he's about to encounter as we continue. Philip is now beginning to experience fruit in communicating the gospel to Gentiles. And I just love how God sets up the story for us. Because now when we get to Acts chapter 8, verse 26, here's how it reads. Speaking of Philip, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and what? Go, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I love what comes next. So he arose and went. That was it, no question. Had that been some of us, we would have said, well, Lord, this is a fruitful Ministry right here. This is a, this is a, this, I'm in the vineyard and we are raising a church. There are baby believers here. Why are you moving me from such a successful and fruitful place of ministry? Or some of us would have been like myself when the Lord tapped me on the shoulder in 2007 and said, CJ, I need you to leave corporate America. I need you to become pastor. You would have rehearsed in your own personal experience the Jonah story as I did and run from the call of God, as some of us do. But he didn't do that. Without hesitation, Philip, though he has a very fruitful and successful ministry, leaves where he is and goes where God is sending him. Let's pick up the story in Acts verse 8, verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert, so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. This is a very influential, a very powerful, prestigious, learned man. He's reading. It wasn't common for everybody to read in that time. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. It is obvious that the Lord had already been working in his life before he sends Philip to go and speak to him. Here is Philip who just had, follow me now, who just had experience communicating the gospel to Gentiles. And lo and behold, here comes a Gentile who is now seeking truth from God. This brings us to our first point this morning. You can have confidence in your personal evangelism because God has already prepared their hearts. I thought I would have gotten at least five amens in this congregation this morning. It lifts the burden from us, doesn't it? We sometimes approach evangelism as though today I'm going to put on my witnessing hat. But how many of you understand that witness and evangelism begins when you get up in the morning? Your experience with Jesus. You're praying for people that are in your sphere of influence. And out of that experience, God is already at work. He is the primary evangelist. I love it when my wife and I, we moved to a beautiful apartment in uh, Laurel, Maryland, is actually where we live, even though we're pastoring in Bowie. And when we were there, we, we noticed that our neighbor, very friendly woman, we started this habit that I highly encourage you to also um, begin. We began praying for our neighbors. We started this back when we were in Atlanta. We began praying for our neighbors because we wanted to we wanted God to do something, and we wanted to be able to reach those that were in our sphere of influence. We began praying for our neighbors, but little did we know that our neighbor was actually praying for us. As we got to know her, we're praying, and as we're praying, God gives us opportunity to have communication with her. And one day we're talking to her, and she says, you know, I was praying for you before you got here. And we said, really? So obviously, we're just, she's a believer. She has, she's an she's a Ethiopian eunuch here. And she says to me, I was praying that our neighbors would be quiet. <laughs> I was praying I would have quiet neighbors. And lo and behold, we're pretty much quiet. So. But in our communication, I began to discover, you know, I'm a new pastor. The church that I'm at right now, they, whenever there is a baby blessing or there is a wedding or a baptism, those official capacities of the pastor, the pastors tend to wear robes. Now, I'm just going to be honest and transparent with you guys this morning. I've never been the robe guy. I've just, I just felt its pomp. I just didn't, I just felt, you know. But I said, you know what? Let me be contextual. Let me go and get myself a robe. Well, guess what her occupation is? She is someone, specifically as her niche, that makes robes for pastors. If you go to your ABC and you see those robes, then you may be seeing one of her robes there. She's selling them. And she teaches you know, sewing and other things like that. But that's her main thing, and she sees it as her ministry. So when I told her, I'm a new pastor, and guess what I need? I need a robe. It's amazing how God, he sets up these, these divine appointments. Why? Because God has already prepared their hearts. Before you even show up right now where you are, there are people that God is already speaking to. They're like this Ethiopian eunuch, already searching and wanting some answers. And guess who has some answers for them? Their Seventh-day Adventist friend and neighbor that's in their sphere of influence. I love this, this, this quote from Jesus in John 6, 44. John is my favorite gospel and my, probably my favorite book in the Bible. And Jesus says this. He says, no one can come to me unless who? The Father who sent me does what? Draws him. When we, when, we, when we experience evangelistic success, and I know that word conjures up many ideas. When you hear evangelism, you may be thinking of the proclamation of the gospel. But notice, when we were just reading this a minute ago, they went everywhere preaching the word. That word preaching didn't necessarily mean that they stood up behind a pulpit and preached. But wherever they went, when Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples, in the Greek, it's actually communicating as you are going about life. Make disciples. 
And so Jesus is saying that when someone comes to the Lord, when someone comes to you and you lead them to Christ and the truth as it is in Jesus, it is because the Father, through the Holy Spirit, has been drawing them already before you even showed up on the scene. I love also this, this quote from Auntie Ellen, Ellen White, in Acts of the Apostles, page 107. She says this. She says, God saw, speaking of this Ethiopian eunuch, God saw that when converted, he would give others the light he had received and would exert a strong influence in favor of the gospel. Angels of God were attending this seeker for light. And here she is now echoing what Christ just said. And he was being drawn to the Savior, drawn to the Savior. By the ministration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord brought him in touch with one who could lead him to the light. God setting up the story, setting up circumstances, as it were, mysteriously in your life for people that are actually seeking, though it may not look apparently that way, that are actually seeking for truth, seeking for light, seeking for hope. I am more convinced now more than ever before in my life that the message that God has entrusted us with, as it is seen in the light of the gospel, is the most beautiful message to ever be communicated on this planet. People are hungry for what we have. But you know what they want today? I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. They want to see it lived as well. They don't just want to hear what you're saying. They want to see what you're saying in your life. And believe me, they're drawn to authenticity. And what I love about this story is that you see here that God is the one that is at work in this entire process, just like your salvation, from beginning to end. God is orchestrating the circumstances. We are not, as some people in marketing or sales would think, creating cold transfers. You understand what I mean by that? You're not creating some type of connection arbitrarily in a kind of a imposed way to create a Bible study candidate or a baptismal candidate. What is happening is that in your life, God has already moved ahead of you and you're simply joining him in his work. He has already prepared the hearts, by the way, of your neighbors. It may not look that way. Your coworkers, it may not look that way. But he's already, because you're there, orchestrating circumstances in their life, questions that they may have, conversations that all of a sudden they start having with you at the water cooler. On the job, at the school, someone starts to have this conversation. They're opening up to you on, about their life. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is going, that's your cue. I, you know, I told you I began praying for my neighbors. I want to encourage you. Think of those people that are in your life. You know, what I really believe God is doing today is he's trying to raise our spiritual awareness. You know, sometimes we think of the Gospel Commission. We think go overseas and make disciples. But <laughs> America is a mission field. We just, last night, did a, a presentation of three of us pastors on what it is to be a member of the body of Christ. And we shared, I shared some statistics and the research has come in right now from uh, Tom Rayner was sharing the statistic that nine out of 10, this is just Christianity at large, but I think we can probably attest to some of this in our own, our own community of faith. Nine out of 10 churches in America are declining. Or if they're experiencing some level of growth, it is not keeping up with their surrounding community. The general population is becoming more secular. Some would even venture to say that we are becoming post-Christian. That's sad. And here's another statistic. It is also a generational issue because the builder generation, he's, he says, when they surveyed the build, that's your grandparents possibly's generation before the baby boomers. That generation professed that two-thirds of the population were Christians. Two-thirds. The millennial generation, our current generation today, which I'm looking at some millennials right now in the audience, only 15% profess to be Christians. That's less than one-fourth. That's less than a quarter. We have a dilemma on our hands. But guess what? 
God has a solution. Seventh-day Adventist Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, that where they are in their sphere of influence, not waiting for the pastor to hold the evangelistic campaign, although that's important, being an evangelist on the workplace, in their families, in their neighborhoods, praying for names of people, before you begin to want to go and approach them with a Bible study, start praying for them. And watch God create circumstances. Philip is on the road. God is nudging him. Go. Here he comes. We pick up the story in verse 29. And I love how this begins in verse 29. It says, then the spirit said to Philip, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. I love Philip. Philip is a man of action. The spirit said, and he ran. Go near, and he runs. I absolutely love Philip in this story. And as he goes near, the Bible says in verse 30, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? He simply came alongside him in his journey where he was at and asked him a question. He didn't impose an ideology to him. He simply found out where he was and began to ask him a question. This brings us to our second point today. You can have confidence in your personal evangelism because the Holy Spirit will lead you into the opportunity. The Holy Spirit is the one that is, at, is in control of the process. It's, it's developing, as this is why I encourage us to pray for those individuals we, that God is putting in our lives. It is learning how to listen to the voice of the Spirit. That's why our devotional life is so important. To learn how to hear the words of God in Scripture. Sometimes the Lord will give those to you at opportune moments. There is a young lady right now in our small group. Her name is Grace. And Grace is a teacher. Grace is also a tutor. Sometimes teachers volunteer as tutors or sometimes have a small part-time role as a tutor. And Grace got an interest, someone that was interested in doing math tutoring because they were trying to pass their GED and they failed the math portion. So they came and they wanted to speak with Grace about that. Grace sets up the appointment at a Starbucks. They meet. And as they're talking, and they maybe had maybe one or two other meetings after that, she's trying to teach math. And she could see that this young lady, her face just looks like just downtrodden and like deep concern, anguish going on in her life. And she says, you know, let's just put math aside for a second. And she said, why don't you tell me what's going on in your life? You look very concerned. Is everything OK? And that's all she needed to do, because it opened up the floodgates. The tears began to flow. This problem in my life and that problem in my life. And Grace, as she shares the story, begins to say that in that moment, the Holy Spirit began to give her, as Jesus said, would give you in the moment, in that time of need, scriptures of comfort and encouragement that uplifted this young lady out of the darkness that she was in. And she just became a listening ear. In the course of the conversation, she simply said, you know, I know what you're going through right now is rough. But you know, I go to a church and we have a small group. You know, it's just a lot of positive people that are trying to do the right things in life. And you know, if you'd like to come, I really believe this would be of benefit to you. Well, lo and behold, she came one night to our small group. I discovered as we got to know her, we just loved her. I, you know, by the way, I, I sometimes like to call evangelism loving people into the message. I can talk about, a whole lot about that. But we simply embraced her where she was. We bought her a Bible. She didn't really have one particularly in her that she could understand. For her, the Bible was a good luck charm that you placed on your furniture and keep the evil spirits away. She did not have a church background. The only religious understanding that she had was when she was in church school for, no, excuse me, Catholic school for two years, 14 to 16. That was her reference for what God was like. Therefore, she saw her Bible in you know, that way. She didn't really read it. We bought her a Bible, and we gave it to her in our grow group, in our small group. She held that Bible. She kissed it and started to cry. We gave her a Bible reading plan to help her in her personal devotional life. We invited her to our worship service. She came. It was one of those worship services where we were dealing with, at the time, there was a video that went out dealing with the Pope and the Protestant Pentecostal churches particularly, and we felt that it was important to address what was happening prophetically. 
And so we were a little nervous at the church, you know, particularly with her coming. We knew she was coming because we were going to deal head on with some prophecy that maybe we realized she ready for that message. And how many of you know that God's ways are so much higher than our ways? Our pastor preached prophecy that Sabbath in the light of Christ, but he dealt with the issue. How about she leans over and nudges Grace and says, you know, I've been really interested about prophecy. Can you tell me a little bit more about this little horn? What, you, know, can, you know, can you teach me a little bit more about creation, the Holy Spirit? Do you guys teach that here? I mean, some of the best news that a Seventh-day Adventist pastor can probably hear. And so I noticed at the end during the appeal, she looked like she was about to get up. She grabbed her purse. And then I noticed she sat back down. She didn't go forward. Afterward, she approached me and said, you know, I'd like to learn more about the Bible. Can you teach it to me? I said, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I said, I noticed you're about to move. How come you didn't get up? Well, I didn't see anybody else going down. I didn't want to look embarrassed. Well, long story short, we started the Bible study, one lesson. And then she came to a second service sometime, late, sometime later, and she had a little mini crisis going on in her life. And when she came to the service this time when the appeal was made, she came forward. All because Grace, in her sphere of influence, as a teacher, right? I love what this uh, other pastor that I, I admire said. Uh, he, raises, he, he raises his hand in the congregation. He says, how many ministers do I have in the church? And nobody raised their hand except him. He said, after he taught a little bit what I'm sharing with you now, then he said, how many ministers do we have in the building that are undercover ministers in your profession? And everybody's hand just went up. Here she is, a teacher, being used by God as an evangelist. You see, there are people that are gifted with the gift of evangelism, but every believer is an evangelist. Every believer is a disciple maker. In your sphere of influence, the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity. We're working with this young lady now, and I get, her name is Amanda. We actually continue to pray for her. But I love, again, this quote in this book, speaking about the opportunities that God gives you in your sphere of influence, this man named Mirslav Hujik from the book, The Missionary, third millennium AD. I really like this quote. He says this. Admittedly, he says, some who study and work outside of church circles, so outside of the denominational institutions and so forth, have lost sight, have lost, rather, their faith and become worldly. But, he says, many more have found their faith grow stronger as it is challenged in the real world and that they become better able to what? Communicate it. Didn't Philip just have experience being around some Gentiles? God used someone who now had the ability to communicate with Gentiles, and he brings what? A Gentile of influence to him and creates the connection to help him connect the dots. What do you think God is doing in your life right now? If you're someone who's in the community uh, that you have Adventist friends, you, you have precious Seventh-day Adventist church members, but maybe you live near some people that are not Christian. Maybe you live near some people that are not Seventh-day Adventist. You work with people that are not Seventh-day Adventist. You're there for a reason. It's not happenstance. You may be better to communicate to them than I would because you know them. You know where they are in their life story and in their life experience. This same author that I quoted earlier, the one who had the experience, right, with the pastoral position that he was being considered for, he goes on to say this after that experience. He said after his experience, he began to study theologically what it really meant to be a disciple maker. And he says he studied first the Godhead. He studied the Trinity. And he says this, as I studied the Trinity's values and priorities, I was reminded that their way of reaching people in need is to draw what? Close to them, to identify with them as much as possible and relate to them in terms they can understand. The pinnacle of that endeavor was, of course, the incarnation of Christ. And this blew me away in my study because I really began to look at God as a missionary and an evangelist. God, he goes on to say, left in Christ, left heaven, and lived among us, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, as it says in John chapter 1. He didn't come, and he goes on to say this, and I love this. He said he didn't come to Nazareth for three weeks, leave, and go back home. He didn't do a short-term project. He incarnated himself with us. 
He dwelt among us. He ate with us. He went to our homes. He got to know our names. He got to know our family members. He healed some. He did miracles. He cast out demons. He dwelt among us. I like to call it incarnational friendship or personal evangelism. This is real evangelism. You, planted where you are with spiritual eyes and awareness, seeing those around you as the precious souls that Jesus wants to save. Jesus incarnated himself. He walked with us and talked with us and ate with us and heard our needs and our concerns. And all God is asking us to do is simply recognize the opportunities he's trying to create through his spirit, especially those that you're praying for. Well, we continue the story here in verse 32. The place in the scripture which this Ethiopian eunuch, it says, was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And he will declare, and who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip, and I love this verse, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. He preached Jesus to him. I love how God sets up this story. Of all the places in Isaiah, which Isaiah is also referred to as the gospel prophet, very emphatically focusing on, the coming Messiah. He finds Isaiah 53, and he's reading that. He's one, is, is, is Isaiah talking about himself or some other man? Who is he talking about? Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity, Philip says. And that brings us to our third and final point this morning. Sharing Jesus produces results. Sharing Jesus produces results. I want to tell you today, That when the Lord began to do a work in my life and revealed to me what my calling was, you know, sometimes when God is working with you, he sends others into your life really to encourage you to, to be more committed to the mission of Christ. This young lady at our church in Atlanta and her husband came to our church and our pastor, you may be familiar with him, Pastor Peter Kulikoff. Um, he's a speaker director for the uh, Light of Hope TV had a ministry in Moscow, in Russia, and so forth. Powerful testimony. But he was our pastor in Atlanta, and these, this couple came to the church. They, just, they lived probably just about a mile away. You could walk to their home. The wife, they're both a young couple. The wife was a uh, Pentecostal Christian believer, and the husband was raised Seventh-day Adventist, and they were now exploring the church. Now, she and her family were very much involved in their local Pentecostal church. I mean, her mother was considered a pastor over outreach at their Pentecostal church, but they came. And we loved them. And the pastor said, go and just talk to them. You guys are a young couple. They're a young couple. Talk. Well, as we got to talking with them, we discovered that we had a lot of things in common. My wife is born and raised in Jamaica. Amen. I am from Jamaican descent, though I was born in New York. The wife was from Jamaica. They love to sing, we love to sing, and so they love to eat, we love to eat. So we said, you know, you, would be, you, you need to come to our small group on Friday nights as we bring in the Sabbath together. I think you'll enjoy it. We would eat together, sing together, study the Bible together, and as you know it, we would get along to some of our unique Seventh-day Adventist beliefs. And what an open spirit this young woman was. She loved Jesus. And no matter what teaching in the Bible, the second coming of Jesus, I was drawing her to Jesus. The Sabbath, I was pointing her to Jesus. The sanctuary message, it's all about Christ and his plan of salvation being illustrated for us in the sanctuary. No matter what teaching I taught her, we were doing the New Beginnings. You may be familiar with New Beginnings. We were walking her through that small group curriculum. I emphatically pointed her to the gospel. Because she was already following Jesus, she wanted to follow Jesus into the Sabbath and its rest into the sanctuary. She embraced it all. 
I could not baptize her fast enough. She said, can I please be baptized into your church? I said, what about your family? I mean, I know this is probably going to be hard for them. She says, no, they're looking at my life. They're seeing the fruit of what God is doing in my life, and they're celebrating it with me. They're going to come to the baptism. Can I be baptized? Well, I said, I'm not a pastor. I don't know if I can. Let me talk to my pastor. So I spoke to my pastor. He said, CJ, I want you in the pool with me. We're going to baptize her into the church. Praise the Lord. Preaching Jesus, sharing Jesus produces the results. Christ is the center of everything that we believe. You know, I, I love what Jesus says in John 5, 39. He was very emphatic about this. As he was speaking to the religious leaders of his day, they were very schooled in the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah, the laws we were talking about earlier today. Jesus said this to them. He said, you search the scriptures. That's right, you do. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they, those same scriptures, that testify of me, Jesus says. The personality, guess what? The subject of your textbook is me. The center and the subject of your beliefs and doctrines is me, he says. I love this other experience that he had with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right after his crucifixion. You had Seventh-day Adventists, if you will. Those were expecting the advent of Christ. They were Sabbath keepers, but they were in their great disappointment. Right after the cross, our Messiah is dead. That did not compute for them. Jesus comes alongside them. You may remember the story. He begins to give them a Bible study. I love Richard Davison, one of our professors there at the seminary. And he says if there was any place that he could go back in time in the Bible and be there, it would be here. He said because Jesus gave the Bible study. And watch how Jesus gives the Bible study. He says in beginning at Moses, when it says at Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law, and all the prophets, in other words, he goes through the entire Old Testament, their Bible of the day. He expounded to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning who? Himself. And look at the results. Verse 32. This is now after he reveals himself to them as they dine together and he disappears. Here's their response to this Bible study. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us. They knew the scriptures, but now when I hear the scriptures, it, my heart burns within me while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. While he opened the scripture. By the way, that, um, I discovered that word opened the scriptures to them was the same word that was used in Greek when Jesus would open the eyes of the blind. Maybe he's now opening the eyes of the spiritually blind. Because he's showing them, he's, he's saying, your book that you love and is about me. And it has its root, its substance, and meaning as it's seen in me, Jesus is saying to them. I have a sermon that I preach called Heartburn. God wants to give you heartburn. It's based off of this, this experience right here. And I love what Jesus says in John 12, 32. And I, let's repeat it together. And I, if I am lifted up, from the earth will draw all men or peoples to myself. It is in the lifting up of Jesus. You know, it's the cross of Christ that's being alluded to here. As we direct people to the cross in our preaching, in our teaching, in our lives, people will be drawn to Jesus. You know, I am convinced as we come to a close that before people want to hear the Bible study, and they will, they want to hear your story. You know, in our postmodern society, they're really attuned to stories. They want to, they want to understand how what you believe is, is impacting your daily life. They want to see it lived. How is it making, and I, I'm hearing what you're saying, but, but what does that mean to you? Personal, really, on Monday morning when someone cuts you off, you know, really. And I love this quote in, in, in that same thinking um, from the same book, The Missionary. He says here, tell your story and tell them. You know, you have some people that say, I just need to tell them my story. I just need to live the life. I don't need to give them the Bible study or share my, my beliefs. Or no. no, you say no. Share your story and tell them what you believe. It's both. You see? But the first Bible study they probably want, they want to see is the Bible study of your life. What does Jesus and your beliefs mean to you? He says, notice Jesus, and he's referring here to the demoniac that Jesus, the legion that he 
he cast out that legion. And then he says, go back to your home and go back to your friends and tell them what the Lord has done for you because he had compassion on you. Referencing that, he says, notice Jesus didn't say, go home and argue. He told the man to go home and tell his personal story. That is a brilliant strategy for postmodern times, he says. He says, as we've seen, most people subject grand truth, are suspect of grand truth claims. That's where we are today. They're suspect of grand truth claims, however. But they are looking for real, everyday, usable truth. Same grand truth, right? Absolute truth. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But they want to see it. They want to see it being lived out and experienced. Usable truths from people they know and trust. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They will listen respectively and open-mindedly to your experience if you tell it humbly and honestly. That is how your story can sneak past border guards of postmodern prejudice. Did you find it interesting that when Jesus was teaching primarily to the crowds, he told stories? Woven within his stories were doctrines and teachings. And later on, his disciples, which, by the way, another professor said to me that Jesus only ever pastored 12 people. I found that interesting. He preached to the masses, but he really pastored 12. And then they went on and turned the world upside down. They would then ask him, what, what did that, the sower, what, what did that mean? And he would then explain the teaching, the doctrine, you see. This final quote here from, again, Ellen White in Acts of the Apostles. She says, all over the world, these are people in your neighborhood, in your job, on your school. All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Prayers and prayers and inquiries go up from souls, longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered who is in your life right now that is waiting to be gathered in? And I want to tell you, it may not look like it, but if you have that conversation, you'll discover that there are people right in your sphere of influence that are waiting for you to share what you know, to share who you know. And I want to tell you it is in the lifting up of Jesus that you're going to see the results. Watch this. In after now he's been baptized, and if you go down to verse 39, now when they came... Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. There are some people that the Holy Spirit wants you to send on their way rejoicing. By the way, are you noticing that the Holy Spirit is the initiator and concluder of this whole experience? He says, go near, and he went and then he now carries him physically. Taking, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's going to do that to you. That may, some people may think that's the rapture. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, again, communicating to us the Holy Spirit is the one in charge from beginning to end. We're simply co-laboring with Jesus. Did you know that the Great Commission, Jesus was actually communicating that very thought when he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, what is the context of that statement? Go make disciples. In the context of you making disciples, I'm with you to the end of the age. You will sense my presence nearer than you will ever sense it before as you go and make disciples. Why? Because I'm the one that's doing it. I'm the primary evangelist. You're simply joining me for the ride. You're partnering with me. That's why Jesus says you're co-laborers with me. I'm the one doing the evangelism, and I want you to come along with me. Will you come? is Jesus' invitation. Will you arise and go? You see, again, even with our salvation, the idea is that your confidence is not in yourself. Guess what? I can't make a disciple. Does that sound strange to you? I'm a pastor. I can't make a disciple. But God can. The Holy Spirit can. And he simply wants to partner with me, with people that he's already working with. The pressure's not on me. The weight was not meant for me. It's on Christ. And he wants me to join him in the experience. My appeal today is quite simple. A simple appeal. 
Will you be one whose heart responds to the wooings of the Spirit? Remember we sang earlier today, wooing us to heaven. Will you arise and go? You see, go doesn't mean you're going to Africa. Go just means you may be going across the street to that cubicle right around the corner. And you don't have to give them everything. I, 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 I had to repent, Bob. I had to repent. I had a friend of mine named Barry. I used to work in the bank, again, when God was working on my heart, right? And I remember one time, you know, I was about to move to Atlanta, and we were thinking about a home to buy, and I went to, his name is Barry, I went to his home. I remember I had that amazing fax um, when it just came out, the, the, what was it? Last day events. And I remember, he was someone I was studying with, but I remember I just showed him the entire, and he was, oh, wow, this is amazing. He said, you know, yeah, did you know? And I, I must have gave him every, I, I gave him a Bible, I, I gave him a Daniel Revelation seminar in probably two hours. Just, and he had this glazed over look in his eyes. Sometimes we're so um, sincerely sensing the urgency, the urgency of the call, that we sometimes go ahead of the Holy Spirit. Are we willing, like Philip was, to simply listen to the Spirit, raise our spiritual awareness? Where are they? Is it that they're just simply hurting right now and they need a friend to listen to them? Listen to their story and then you share yours? and what Jesus means to you, and what his truth means to you. In that con are you willing to do the urgent work of the patient process of soul winning? Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? It's a process. Are you willing to arise and go? I want to ask you, if you're willing to arise and go, will you arise right now, signifying to heaven that I'm willing to arise and go? I'm standing, so I'm already arisen <laughs> and ready to go. And if you are willing to arise and go, I invite you to stay with us after lunch. We're going to talk a little bit more practically about how we can do this. And, um, you know, I, I never, I'm an evangelist at heart, Bob. I never like to close out without offering an invitation to someone who may be an Ethiopian eunuch. We're not saying you don't have a relationship with God. God already is at work in your life. But well, you know, I believe at this church, we want to celebrate with you a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ through maybe baptism, maybe you're hearing about this church and its beautiful message and you're saying, I want to learn about that. If you're here and that's you, I would simply like to pray with you. I don't need to keep it long, but I would love to give someone that opportunity if you're here. We'd love to celebrate that with you. You're interested possibly in learning about what this church believes this beautiful community of faith. I love the diversity I'm seeing here at this church. It's beautiful. Well, I, I believe that everyone here is safe. And if that is the case, I want to invite you simply to bow your heads with me as we seal this commitment to the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have called us to this challenge that many times maybe we have sensed it being our responsibility, the burden being primarily on us to make disciples, but as we understand it biblically, Father, really and truly, you're already doing the process of making disciples, but you're having such a good time doing it, you're saying, man, would you please come in and join me in this? Because the growing is in the going. The growing closer to you and spiritually is in the going, being obedient to the Gospel Commission. Raise, Father, this congregation and even my own heart Raise our spiritual awareness to the Ethiopian eunuchs in our midst, on the job, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. And we thank you, Lord, for the harvest, those that you're going to send off rejoicing as a result of our commitment today. All heaven is witness. And we praise you in advance for the fruit. We thank you in the worthy and beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. 
I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.